Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Hi, everyone. Today's guest is a really cool one. If you've heard me talk on the podcast before, you'll know that I'm a huge fan of this series. So this is a really special interview with Caroline Kepnes. She's the New York Times bestselling author of You, Hidden Bodies, Providence, and You Love Me. Her work has been translated into a multitude of languages and inspired a television series adaptation of You that's currently on Netflix. Kepnes graduated from Brown University and then worked as a pop culture journalist for Entertainment Weekly and a TV writer for Seventh Heaven and The Secret Life of the American Teenager. She grew up in Cape Cod and now lives in Los Angeles. And today she's here to talk with us about the fourth book in the You series, For You and Only You, that comes out on April 25th. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Well, Caroline, thank you so much for joining us today and and being here. Thank you for having me. Yes, I feel like we are all in the same room. Like that's that's the magic of Zoom. <laughs> Three different backgrounds, but it does feel like we're together. Yes, these backgrounds could all kind of go together. Yes, they really could. <laughs> to get us started, though, would you tell the listeners a little bit about for you and only you? Yes, um, for you and only you is my fourth book about Joe. Goldberg, who is a guy who loves to read, is very passionate and sensitive, and then kills people who, but only people who deserve it. So this time he goes to Harvard, he gets himself a writing fellowship, and he expects that he's going to meet all of his peers, like the friends of life that are just like him. And the people, the writers that he's in the workshop with, they actually have careers and nice little backgrounds. So Joe is lonely and agitated and in walks a woman who comes from a background like him. Her name is Wonder. And if you know anything about Joe Goldberg, you know that everything's going to work out with this girl because he's going to do whatever it takes to help her find happiness and success. That took me out. If you know anything about Joe Goldberg, this will just go perfectly for her. (laughs) (laughs) I, I love the setup immediately and I love that Joe's got this idea that everything is going to be peachy keen. We're all going to be on equal footing. And then no surprise, he's found the pretentious people that he hates the most. So, yeah, I, I love the setup of this and that he's at Harvard. And so I'm curious what the inspiration was to send him specifically to that institution. That I felt like in that Joe being like so obsessed with elitism, it's like, it's Harvard. And I feel like I could have done Yale or somewhere else, but there's something about Harvard. And of course, like the goodwill hunting of it, like so much about Boston is home to me and appealed to me. So I didn't, I just kind of went with it. Like I didn't really consider other schools, you know, like it was like, if he's going to go somewhere, he's going to go to the legally blonde, you know, the, the, the game show answer of when you hear Ivy league. Yes. (laughs) 
Yeah, that makes sense. When you hear Ivy League, when you hear Boston, my first thought is Harvard. Um, I love Massachusetts. I spent a lot of summers visiting there. One of my best friends uh, went to MassArt, lives there still. So I, I spend more than my fair share, but I also love all of the references to publishing, writing, and to areas that we feel like you're pretty pretty familiar with in Massachusetts. Why did you want to put Joe here, aside from just kind of like the goodwill hunting and Harvard of it all? Um, Part of it is absolutely, it was our 10-year anniversary right now, this year that I made him up. And it was kind of like, and even though I started writing this a while ago, it was like, I'm ready to take him home. Like I've thought about it other times and I've taken him to Rhode Island. I've gotten like here and there. And it was like, I just in a completely self-indulgent, it was the lockdown. I'm like, I'm bringing him home. My baby's <laughs> going. Yes. No, that makes so much sense. I mean, like <laughs> I kept every, every time I would read one of the books, I'm like he's so close. He's almost there. He, I need to see Joe at Harvard. Uh, did, how did it feel? Was it nice to be talking about places you're so well-versed in? Oh yeah. Wonderful. Like truly like spiritually great because after all these years of kind of carrying around in my head when I'm home and like picturing, it was like getting to, getting to really go there. And yeah, I like, and I liked the combination of the Massachusetts of it, the way I feel like it gets under his skin. Like now he, wherever he goes, he just kind of falls into that love and obsession and wants the life here. And the combination of wanting that life, which I feel like can be very, would be very appealing to him to be like, a la-di-da writer living in Cambridge, you know, like, <laughs> and to couple that with like suddenly for him who's so sensitive to be very aware of new people and in close connection with them. And that felt great. So in that way, having the career that he can't quite have and the life that he can't quite have, I'm like, that's just. Plus giving yeah. him the power to call people mass holes is yes. a true treat. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Joe. It's always just out of reach. <laughs> no, I mean, it really is hard. And he does like want, he wants everyone to be the best version of themselves. And, you know, and he's just willing to go a little farther to stop people who can't seem to do that. Yeah. He'll just go that extra mile to get uh, people to where he wants them to be. <laughs> yeah, I loved putting him on that bicycle so much. I love I don't know. It's, it is fun. Like he's, I think of him like a toy and I just want to play with him in different areas. And this was nice too, to see him attempting to have friendship relationship, like all of these. Yeah, no, I was going to say that this book is, was so fun and entertaining. And it really felt like you were exploring those different avenues where it's not just about his romantic relationship, but also his relationship as a writer. Like he's looking for mentors. He's looking for friends. He has all of these different people and it was just so fun and entertaining and a little bit like cheeky with all of the references and the critique of publishing and writers. And you could just tell that like you were having a great time writing it. And I think it's a great time to read. Oh, good. That's because That's what I want. I'm like, when I'm engaged, I, that's all you want is for that to be, to come across somehow and for it to be like, I'm reading this, I'm having fun. And yeah, especially with like this book, I love the idea. Like, what could there be a worse job for him than exposing himself? Cause he has the thinnest skin and he's jealous. And I liked, it was so fun to like, see how would he handle himself? Like in that way, on the simplest level, he likes thinking he's a genius. And when he, when it comes time to do the living like a writer, sharing your work, respecting people, allowing them to like give you feedback. It was like, well, that's never going to happen. <laughs> like he's not. Yeah. So it was, it really was fun to write. 
I don't know, to like, I, cause I like like career stories in that way. And the combination of where it brings out the child in him, the way I think it does any of us, like first day of school, you can't not have some deluded hope of like how things are going to be. And I liked carrying that through and just coming back to that in every chapter of like, he does really just want to be like the best writer. <laughs> like the yeah. He really the does. Love. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I don't think this is a spoiler, but I will preface a little bit with like, spoiler adjacent the title of joe's book in this i thought was the most entertaining it was so fun and so for those of you that are not concerned with me telling you it now the title of his book is me why did you decide to have that be the title of his book in the you series there's absolutely a dovetail where i feel like in this book too He's in that position of, I deserve this. Like same way wonder deserves, like, what about me? Like, it's my turn. And it felt like Joe is so like, believes in himself that it's like, he's the person in his head who deserves the attention, the love. And he would never see it as I'm obsessing over you. It was like his version of taking responsibility. And it was fun to think about him sitting down and writing that book and how, how he would revisit his life and how he would constantly see himself as the victim as the one with bad luck, as the one who got, you know, like it's easy to die, you're dead, but he's here mourning and people have cheated on him and let him down. And I feel like me felt like, well, that's Joe's real energy. He just tricks you and thinks it's about you. But the bottom line, and I liked him not even being aware of that. Like that's where it just felt right. And the dork in me is like, I love that it goes you, you know, coming back to me. <laughs> I no, I think that's perfect too. It really does help us see Joe as as this kind of character that he is like it's always there it's always present but like part of what you were saying earlier of how he is like a a toy to you he also does have that it's not that we want to root him like you are rooting for him he just sees the world a little differently and that that really shapes out with me yeah and I think like part of him it's always been about the loneliness that like if it's worked out in your life that you are the only person you trust and you had that kind of experience growing up and you've internalized that like his he is his own best friend and I think that's what makes him that's why I like to write him and because he does employ a lot of those lessons that we're always told to you know believe in ourselves and be our own best friend be on our own side and I'm like well psychologically in some ways he is very well developed and that's kind of <laughs> I hope contagious and what makes it fun because it's like, well, he does, he is willing to take risks and some part of you kind of wants him to get there. Oh, I think all parts of you want him to get there. (laughs) Like we know it's wrong, but we want him to succeed. (laughs) (laughs) Before we get into that though, uh, I wanted to talk about the shoddies. Uh, Each of each member of the fellowship has a distinct writing style, genre and personality, are these characters based on writers you know? Are they caricatures of people? Fortunately, no. I mean, with like, it's just, I feel like people always want to know that. And I get that it's natural, like, especially in a book that's first person and that's this, like, but I do just make them up. Like, I feel like I like wordplay and I come up with names. I was very excited about Sarah Beth Swallows. And it was like, well, she's not going to, you know, be someone who writes romance with that name. It's going to be like, murdery and that. And I feel like, yeah, each one comes from a separate little place. And of course, the pressure of seeing, you know, people in all different careers on social media and what we all do now, trying to present ourselves and curate and all that. So they're just products of me, imagination. I I love that because 
I've heard only from writers that the first question people ask in your own life, did you make that character based off of me? Yeah, and it's it starts when you're a kid. Like everything <laughs> I wrote had a mother in it. My mom's like, is this me? And they were not happy stories. And I'm like, no, it's just, this is like the person I see the most, you know, so. Right. It makes sense cool. for me as a kid to write about a mom. like. <laughs> and I think that brings us to wonder, Joe's love interest in this book. How did her character come about? That, I feel like part of that going to school, bringing out his youth, that like kind of second chance at life. I absolutely wanted someone who had parallels to Beck that would like be just kind of implied from her being a mass hole to her being like Joe's getting to watch this process happen. Because for me, like in that first book, part of his problem was that he just couldn't have empathy for Beck. Like he tried to, but in the end he just couldn't. And it was like, well, now he's going to go through. He's going to see what it's like to be like one of the like, horror people in this environment and maybe he will have learned from his harshness with Beck that like yeah this isn't easy and then I liked that Wonder's personality is so different from Beck that even from like the way that she writes more she does like she's a little more confident with getting her shit together but she has that disorder of with her giving all the five-star reviews on Goodreads that she's such a girl such a daughter such a people pleaser for you know that she can't allow herself to have a negative opinion of anything and it's like that is a I like him wanting her to get over that and like wanting her to get over that for her own sake, but then being obviously like not happy when she does grow a little. That's great because it does really seem like he's Joe's maybe come a little bit of a long way since Beck. And you see some of that with wonder, like some things change, but a lot stays the same with Joe, but it, it was interesting to see the areas where he was maybe more understanding of yeah. wonder and her like circumstances. And he wanted both of them to help each other grow. Yes. And I wanted that to be like that we're dealing with a Joe, like he has written the book. And I feel like I wanted him to be different because going through that process where he was like digging up every past relationship would put him in a different space combined with his ego at feeling like he's the world's next gift to literature. So I feel like when, you know, it's that way when you were, when anyone is in a good place, they're more inclined to be generous and, you know, welcoming, forgiving and all that. And to a point, of course. Yeah. Totally. It's also just so like, it's so cool. It's a really interesting juxtaposition to see him in the series, think he's at the top and then kind of go through a whole version of experiences in the other books. Like you see him become a full adult at some point, kind of like dealing with that grief of love, not love, but love um, yep. in book three with Mary Kay. I'll just say it. There we go. Yep. <laughs> but now he gets to be like the college kid again, but also have all of those experiences that I think for me made this extra fun. Yeah. I am so happy to hear that. And, and I guess to it with, with it starting with that kidnapping of an author, yeah. it was like, it was just fun. Yes. To imagine like what he would do with that time in the simple circumstances of the pandemic. And it was one of those things when it started happening in real time, every writer's out there making the same decision. Like, am I gonna write about the pandemic? Am I gonna write in a world where it doesn't exist? Like, what am I gonna do? And I felt like since these books had always been so responsive to culture that there, I, I had no choice, right? Like it was like, I can't, I can't actually do a book where there's no mention of. Certain, no. Abs yeah. Absolutely. And like, I wanted to call that out that you always make the U series very topical. You've got those current trends. You've got TikTok references. You've got the Goodreads girl um, just kind of throughout the series. And that's 
how it manages to be 10 years of Joe at this point. And every time you pick one up, it feels fresh because if it's the first book, you're transported to that time. But if it's the current book, you're like, I'm here right now. Um, what encouraged you to kind of include those pop culture pieces and really make kind of time capsule works? In that way of like writing, like I'd always been writing since I was a kid and I'd always had an inclination to have pop culture references and then kind of really criticize myself for it. And I couldn't like kind of accept my voice the same way I liked these internal oh, monologues. I don't know if you heard that. Um, and finally with you, it was like, you know what? Fuck it. This is what I do. And if I get laughed out of the room and or sentenced to, you know, whatever, like so be it, because like I'm going to write the book my way. And then once I was almost done with the first one, when I immediately, I already wanted to do a second one, it was like, okay, if there's, if these are now like a series, then each one is going to have the same rules have to apply. Like, I feel like the same way if you were writing about, you know, a superhero who could fly, it would be a real change to do the one of like, he's just a normal guy after, you know, <laughs> and it would be a it's just a different kind of experiment. Right. And, and I love that because your writing specifically, I think just does it. Like it, it absolutely keeps it timely. I never look back and go like, oh yeah, that was 10 years ago or that was three years ago. It always feels to me like every, I just re-listened to them over like the Christmas break and was just messaging Emma the whole time being like, can you even imagine this is happening right now? And she's like, yes, I read them too. Uh, but it, it's, it. I don't know. There's, there's an energy to it. And I, I just really appreciate it. Yeah. And I, I, that's what I think. I appreciate that so much. Cause that's all I'm trying to do with that character is like always to capture things that all normal people are dealing with in a moment at like, uh, you know, at his level. Yeah. And in that way to me, to look back at you and think, Oh, Instagram was a baby. Like, you know, like it was so, such a different world. Everything was kind of a baby. And now it's like, it's all at such a different level. And so, you know, from algorithm, like the level of compromise and, you know, manipulation. And so it was fun to like see him not seem quite as bad, maybe. Right. Because like his suspicion of all this stuff and using it to be an antisocial network. Well, now that's kind of like the way of the world. <laughs> yeah, no. And those were some of my favorite parts. Like I highlighted a lot in this book uh, in preparation for this. And those were some of my favorite parts where it was just so relevant to kind of now in the last few years, like the references to Joe erotic and like Duncan, Sally Rooney, there was a comment in one where he was, I don't think this makes sense to anyone out of context, but he's taking the wheel back from Jesus and Elon. Just all of those little moments were when I was having the absolute most fun reading this and just being like, yep, yep. Joe's yeah. just having a great time in 2020s. Absolutely. I'm happy to hear that. And then like, there are little things that I enjoy getting into his head about, like, I, there's a scene where Lou takes like paints of, does a drawing of his book cover and Joe's just mocking the fucking hell out of him. And it's like, well, yeah, Joe, you, you see what it's like to put a book out in the world and like go through that. I liked him being that close to people and being forced to confront the, you know, the kind of stress that's involved in that. Cause my thing with all these platforms is the way they never shut down. And they're a little like Joe in that way. They just don't fucking like there's a bit, if you say, I'm going to not look at things for a few days. Okay. But it's all going on. You know, it doesn't. So I liked Joe also being forced to bear witness to the kind of stress that that puts on these people. And as he's considering whether this is the life for him. 
like take your to work day. <laughs> yeah. And so a little bit about when you're creating these books, what is your process like? Like how long you said you've been working on this for a few years, just like, how did we get from the idea to send Joe to Harvard to now with the book almost in people's hands? A long, slow road with wonderful editors, because I did that last book. You love me ended with him in Florida and I read some Florida books and I was going to do like do the book there, but it just, after time, it was like, no, he needs an atmosphere that can attack him in a way that really hurts. You know, it was like, I wanted when I wanted to, I knew I wanted to bring him back to an elitist environment where like in every book, something about the atmosphere is a character is making him want something specific. And it was like, okay, I'll take my Florida pages aside and kind of put that in the past and bring him into this Ivy league atmosphere where for the first time in his life, he has a key to the castle. And that felt, and then once I did that and wrote the first draft, which was all on zoom, by the way, like and was all like this, like, and then I was like, okay, no, I want to just put them in the room together. So that's in the second draft. It was like, and then that's, I feel like that process is always like, you know, when you turn off the lights and your eyes adjust, it's like that in very drawn out slow motion of like, it's getting clearer and clearer and you're just swimming through it. And every change is like, okay, this is right. But now how to make it work, you know, like first get it right. The place, the atmosphere, now the details. And now, yeah. <laughs> that that sigh says it all just to like ooh. so it was a it was a long editing process because <laughs> <laughs> also when there are that when there's a group like a class like that was a first for me of kind of putting him enmeshed in a he's usually on the outside on his own so it was like I liked that too that this is now we're gonna see Joe engage and you know hang out with his friends and <laughs> it's it is a really fresh take because right all the time we see him as the outsider we see him as the one in complete control and yeah I mean now you've got that kind of like a little bit of self-insert of yeah this is what this character who I've written to be the winner all the time has to feel what I felt like when I started writing him perhaps and you know just like deal deal with what it feels like to have your work out there and criticized and yes because for someone too who lives in his head so much and kind of identifies as an outsider and that's his whole identity that was like what happens to someone like that when you give them a lot at once and yeah and I feel like you can be a you can write something and think you're a genius but the minute you send it to someone else you're opening up the possibility for them to tell you that this thing is not what you think it is and I guess that that was one of my favorite parts of the book because all the writing stuff being just a metaphor for people and life like the way he so can't relate to wonder who's very like writing is my personal private thing like she's not initially in some rush to get published. And I love the way he can't relate. Like he's in, on this kind of vengeance quest. And right. much as like, it's that thing of like, you think in theory, that's what he likes, but no, he wants, if you're not exactly with him, then you go. He'll, get, he'll yeah. get you with him or he'll yeah. get you gone. <laughs> <laughs> this episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? 
it's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Kind of still on the character front, we've got Glenn Shoddy and Sly Karen. Uh, they're a dynamic writing duo. Were they the most fun to write or does it stand with Joe? Yes. I mean, I, they were all, I guess them and Sarah Beth, like I kept, you know, those chat, I would really go off into worlds with all of those. Like I, I could see them and feel them and know them so well. And yeah, Sly and Glenn, I just was like, yeah, I want to watch this sitcom in their house. I love exit him. Like I love, I love everything about him. And also the way that like, yeah, I liked that he had the self-loathing. Like, I feel like it wouldn't be as much fun if he was just a pure, complete dickhead. You know, exactly. and that's where with all of them, I'm like, there's something I liked a lot about all of them. And I did feel like, yeah, like sometimes I went into a bookstore and I'm like, they don't have one book by Sarah Best Falls. And I'm like, she's not a real person, you idiot. Like they don't. But making those titles was so fun. And I'm like, I want to write all those. And, you know. <laughs> right. Make all of the supplemental content for your series. Just be like, yep. well, now you now you have to shelve them. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I love that Glenn was the character that got Joe into spandex and biking. <laughs> Yes, I feel like putting Joe in spandex and that's been a thing like it's a pet peeve of mine like I I'm all, like absolutely I know bikes are good for the world, but something happens to people when they get on them. Where I'm like you understand you're the one who dies like who cares whose fault it is like you are on the bike or the scooter so it's fascinating human behavior to me because I'm like the car is the car so. You're in the most danger and you're yeah. putting yourself there no matter what. <laughs> yeah, you're having a lot of faith in people like a lot. It's so true and I feel like. I don't, is it called cycling, biking? Anybody that does that, it seems like it's to an extreme. Like that is then suddenly a huge part of your personality. Oh, religion, yes. And an identity. And yeah. And I loved also the way we rewrite history. Like something that I liked about Glenn was that he now acts like the cycling is a part of the writing. Like that the two are married and these are two, you know, dovetail activities. And Joe's like, you wrote your best book when you were fucking fat in the middle of the country, not riding a bike. But this is what I feel like people do, especially when we have this constant pressure to like analyze ourselves and present you unconsciously rewrite history. And if you're like Glenn, well, then you really do it. Like, <laughs> Absolutely. And so I know it's hard to talk about the book without getting into spoilers, but I am curious if you have a favorite scene from this book. Oh, I think the end with Joe and Wonder. I really liked, I, I spent a long time on that. I didn't want it to end. You know, I was being very stubborn about it. And I really liked drawing that out and having that like a situation where it's it appears so calm and it's so not. And I don't know if that's a spoiler, but like that was a refreshing kind of tension for me to play with. And Joe on the bike also. I have thoughts, but I also don't want to spoil it. I know. (laughs) The The trouble with these things. Yeah. And I think Joe overdressed at the speed. That was a very fun scene. Like all that Joe Glenn stuff for me was just, yeah, a joy. Like just pure, just pure delight. And the listeners are in for a treat because uh, <laughs> I I love seeing all of these characters that clearly you had so much fun creating because it, it really just shows it it makes for such a fun and dynamic experience. Now, this is where I'll take a wild pivot. Uh, do you listen to true crime podcasts? I don't like I'm I'm a person when I have headphones on I like when I walk down the street I try and guess who's listening to a podcast and who's listening to music 
<laughs> I so love that game. I, yeah, I'm like just music all the way, all the time. But I love the obsession with them. And mm-hmm. I, I feel like I love, there have been so many books that play with them. And I love that culture and the way that it's real. And that felt too like, oh my God, I got to bring this into Joe because, you know, the things like you kill that many people, someone's going to notice something at some point. Somebody is going to start a true crime podcast. And that is, it's like, it goes back to the topical piece. Like, like you were saying so many books now incorporate a podcast into the narrative. And you did that with the body on Bainbridge. Uh, Why, why was it important to incorporate it? Just that kind of. In that way of having all the books in conversation Uh and kind of the way when you write, you like hash out the past and like of yourself and the people you've known. I wanted like for someone from that book to come back in a big way for some action that he took. And especially I wanted, I chose Bainbridge because it was most recent, but also because there was something to me like that was Joe invulnerable in a very different way with just wanting to get family, like cheat his way into the perfect little home. And I loved also that death with her that that she did technically kill herself because I love circumstances in that way and abuse like if you like you know if you drive someone nuts and they react it's your fault you know what I mean like even if it looks like it's their fault you have bear some responsibility but it was one of the things with Melanda that I loved writing and exploring in that book so it was like of course this is the one that will come back to him the one that technically he did not kill her so he's outraged and he gets to be a little outraged because you like, I can follow that logic and you know, he can't control what she did to herself. And imagine like if he went down for something he didn't do. And it's, it's brilliant because right. He is the one who is trying to control other people's lives. And here we are. (laughs) Yeah. And I like the way, cause something in that book, the way he saw it as her failure that like, who, how was he to know that if he locked her up, and she didn't have her phone and she didn't have all of her coping mechanisms that she would turn out to hate herself that much. Like it's, it's kind of like the version of in you when he's like, so I guess Benji really is allergic to nuts. Like if you lie a lot or you have a way of going through life to like avoid things like Melanda, not, you know, confronting anything real. And then you're alone with that shit. Yeah. I mean, I can see where that would. It would get to you. Yeah. It's, at some point it's going to bubble over. Yeah. And I like a little alliteration. So it was like the body on Bainbridge made me very happy. It's perfect. (laughs) It was just another one of those fun elements where I loved that it was in conversation with some of the other, with the other books, bringing things together. And that sort of leads to the next question is like, he's left quite a trail of bodies behind him. And like, at this point, I, don't even know that I can fully keep track of every person. Like there's some nice mentions and you're like, Oh yeah, that one. But so with all of that said, how is it that we continue to root for Joe? And I'm wondering if it's in part because of the way in which his stories are written. I feel like in that it is that the way it's written and that it's also, if you're kind of locked in it with someone like, that's what I like about the claustrophobia of the first person with him because if someone just, they kind of bear, break you down. If you're with someone and they never shut up, it's like, you're going to get on board a little bit because, and also they say a lot of things that you do kind of relate to in moments. And so like by the, they don't give you enough time to dwell on the negativity because it, oh yeah, there's another moment I like when he's thinking of everyone who he's had the tragedy of meeting who died and he leaves out Delilah and he's like, Oh, like, I think that's still in there. It's the weird thing of writing. You're like, what was in that final draft? But I think that's in there, but. Yeah, where he doesn't even remember all of his own people as well. 
Yeah. <laughs> and that feels real to me and kind of helps with it because the way some people walk around feeling guilty and tied to the past and he doesn't like that's always been something about him he just kind of moves on and i think that's another like healthy he doesn't lose his hope he always thinks he can change the world one murdered person at a time but that also really leads into the kind of like rip back that that frenetic energy that joe has um he always gets swept up in that that current mission or conquest is like those are the best words i could think of and it, it takes place in his internal monologue. We're seeing that he's a fan of making up his own words or just saying things like absolutely. It's it's such a specific vibe. And how did you come to know Joe in this way and kind of craft these character traits? Yeah, because that absolutely years ago when I started, I feel like like when social media was a baby, I felt very aware of like how this was going to change the way that we talk to ourselves because already we talk to ourselves and we can get negative. And it was like, I want to capture a brain living in this moment. And that was part a big part of the mission and the quest to understand them of like, without being necessarily explicit about it, just show how this constant stimulation has led to this brain that doesn't know how to stop and just keeps going and going and going. And, yeah. and is very resistant too, to relaxing. Like, that's what I like about him that like that he's all, it's always like tense, tense and yeah, I just, that's something I always think about. Like, this is Joe, like there's never a moment to breathe. And that's part of the kind of self-fulfilling prophecy of getting the short end of the stick that like, he's working so hard, he never gives up. Ooh, like, <laughs> Well, right, because the only time we ever really see him try to relax is with Amy and we saw how well that worked for him. So sort of related to that, I'm, have you ever thought about what would happen to Joe? Should he get caught or should some of these consequences of his own actions sort of catch up to him? Yeah, I like going there because it it does, it keeps me grounded of like, okay, he's done a lot. And I get that like four books in, is it a stretch that he's free? Absolutely. But I like also kind of going through in my head for each one and understanding why like he chooses his victims very well. And it's another thing I feel like that, in the real world, like that is what is scary about those guys, that they really know how to find the right victim. It was something I did in Providence too, like by another book that that's what I feel like is scary, that you never know who is out there with a very specific agenda and what you fit the mold for. And it's not that he would ever describe it that way, but it's like, yeah, like he does find people who are killable and then just blame them for making themselves killable. And so that's, that's what I tell myself when I keep going and letting him be free. And, and I think, yeah, I, so in, without spoilers, like I wanted to play with that energy in this too, because it was part of the writing story too, of like, ultimately he does just want to like tell everyone what he got away with, you know, like on some level, a little respect for the man, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's accomplished a lot. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But, and I think certainly without spoiling anything, this book does really show his scary creativity at setting up some circumstances where he can get away with it. Yes. That's what I liked too, that like, I feel like I, what's not spelled out is that his book is just, of course, like this tight relationship story. And I imagine it just the most, you know, unintentionally pretentious thing ever of just these two people talking for giant paragraphs for pages and nothing really happening. But his real creativity is in how he lives his life. And I think that's what he's like avoiding even asking that question. And because yes, he's much more creative in life than on the page. 
<laughs> Absolutely true. And so in a little bit of a pivot, I want to talk to you about the audiobook quickly. So it's narrate all of them are narrated by Santino Fontana, who I am mildly obsessed with. I'm wondering how he was cast originally or, and if you're involved in that process at all. They sent me like five YouTube links. And I remember I played one, opened it, hit play, walked in the other room, heard him, got chills all over, ran in and was like, Sandino Fontana. And they're like, did you listen to all of them? I'm like, fuck it. I'm like, yes, I did. Sandy, I didn't listen to any. I was like, this is, I loved that feeling. I feel like those moments in life are so rare when it's like when you know exactly what you want to eat and there it is, you know? He just he has the cadence. I I find his voice like just velvety and mm-hmm. and he has he's so good with rhythm and language. I feel like in every audiobook he does, he's he's just like dancing with his mouth. It's yeah, it's amazing to me. The pacing he does is really good. Yeah. And I yeah, the I so I read your books first and then somebody, I don't even know who said, Hey, have you listened to the audiobook version? And I was like, mm, not super into the audiobooks, but like, maybe I'll give it a try. And um, now I almost exclusively talk about the audiobook versions because of his voice. And it's not because they're not enjoyable to read, but just because I also want to listen to him talk. Oh yeah. In I mean, this I, context. Like, the vibe that I wanted is, you know, that moment in fatal attraction when he listens to the tape from yes. her. Yeah. Yep. And I feel like Santino has that. And it's like that very, when you feel like you're speaking, someone is speaking to you and telling you everything and, and it affects you. And I feel like something in his voice and his talent really does that. And I totally get that. Like there was a, a woman at a reading a few years ago was like, I drive around with my kids all day and listen to the audiobooks. I'm like, I want you to bring them back in 10 years. I want to see what they're unconsciously like. I'm like, I get it. Like, yeah, he's you know. his- picked up his voice is otherworldly and the way that he delivers those books, like he has Joe down. Oh yes. Yeah. Yes. I also get chills every time. It's, it's my favorite way to enjoy them is just to listen to him get so into it. Like, yeah, I do believe this, this person I know is on the phone with me right now telling me about all the people he just killed. I read right for the first time the other night on a, on a zoom on a podcast thing and it's so hard. That's the freakiest thing about this one. I read and I know how he does it. And I'm like, I can't do, I can't do that. <laughs> like, it's just like, I, I'm not gifted that way. And I'm like, as I'm reading, I'm like, oh, and can't he just come in and do this? And could he just do my reading for me? And then I'll hop back on. <laughs> yes. Was that for the fear mongers podcast? Yes. Yeah. I yeah. watched that. It was great. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Yeah. I was, I, I hadn't done it in so long and yeah. No, it was really fun. Um, you all did a really great job. Thank you. Now, are you looking forward to your book tour? Super happy to see Trident is on the list. And I loved the mentions to the store in the book. Yes, I'm so excited. I, I'm excited for all of them, but I love the idea of being in that way, in there, in that meta fun way. And yes. And I added one in New York too. Yep. Oh, fun. It's It's so tough to go from like being virtual for years and then get back out on in like in the real world to talk to folks about your book any reservations or were there any fears or just like pure excitement to get back out because in 2021 with you love me like it was great to do all these but there was that you turn off the computer and you're like like what do I do with this energy now like yeah and I would just walk outside like with the mask like hey everybody you know 
<laughs> so yeah, I'm so excited and it's been so long. And I love those in-person events where you're like all in the room together and there's that spontaneity and that engaging. And I was reminding myself when I was reading on fear mongers that when you read in person, there's reaction, there are people, you know, like distractions yep. and then everyone's there for themselves too. Like it's I'm like, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Like, yes. To be able to take that moment and like absorb some of it back in. Cause right. Like these are yeah. people who love you and love your books. Like it's, it's like a, it's a treat. <laughs> yeah. And then also like writing is so much alone time that that's okay. what was weird in 2021. Like I was supposed to do all this stuff and like all of us were used to our rhythms and our schedules. So I was all geared up to go on the road to do a few events and then everything shut down. And it was like, okay, I have to tell my brain, we just don't get that. Like a lot of people don't get a lot of shit they want right now. And that's what I don't get. <laughs> Yeah. And it's, I mean, as we can attest, it's just so fun to be able to interact with these authors that we admire. And we're such a fan of their books that I think it's exciting that people are able to go a little bit back to that and, and do things like the book tours and the live events. Yes. I know like we're jazzed, we get like this kind of opportunity. And so it's, it's it really just is fun. Yes. So pivoting a little bit, I'm sure you love talking about the show. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's wild. Like I, because we had the experience was when we were on lifetime, like that first yeah. season it was beautifully done. And like, I'm like, I loved it. And everything was like a form of gratitude of like, when it was less people were watching every week, I was like, you know what? It, it doesn't affect like, okay, we won't get another season, but it's beautiful. And it's, I am lucky it got made. Most things don't get that far and everyone in it is wonderful. And then they're like, oh, it's going to be on Netflix. I'm like, yeah, like 10,000 other things. And then to see it, I remember that weekend I was in Vegas with my mom and suddenly it was the weekend that I feel like it exploded on Netflix. And then there was going to be more like, so it was like every process has been a surprise twist. And I love life like that, you know, that yeah. I'm like changing the quality when it went, you took those episodes from weekly television, but I thought, oh, I get also where this particular story binges really well, kind of like the book in that breathless, like, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. I think there are so many different kinds of shows in that way. There are shows I want to watch once a week and there are things that like, you know, get me in there. Yeah. I was going to say, I remember when it was on Lifetime and then when it did make shifts to Netflix, but then also there were the first two books, I think it was the first two books you had written before any sort of other adaptations were in place. And so what's it been like to have the show exist in its own sort of space while you're writing the other, the third book and then the fourth book? Has that it's been interesting wild. to have like all of it happening simultaneously? Yeah. So wild. I feel in so many different ways, like I had written those first two and then when there was going to be more show, more books. I'd written an episode in the first season. And I was like, I can't, I'm not, I don't have the kind of shut it off brain where I can go into the room and deal with Joe and love in one way and then go home and go back into my world where they're my way. And so I kind of withdrew a little because I'm like, I have to do my work and I have to like stay focused on this. And they're also clearly doing a good job with their show. So it was very bizarre though, to kind of work and take a break and turn on the TV to procrastinate. And there it is, or go online. And there it is. I'm like, this is so different. You know, it's just like a learning experience because it's like, I have to learn in life when you're writing. I feel like there's always some roadblock distraction, but this is like a big loud one, like billboard, you know? Yeah. It's definitely like, been everywhere. Yes. 
And I think that was something that somebody said to me this week, actually, is they said like, oh, I didn't want to read the next book yet because I don't want anything to spoil. And I was like, no, no, I think that's totally different. Yeah. I mean, to me, they're parallel universes. Like I told them what I was doing, gave them an early draft. So there he's in a different kind of academic situation, mm-hmm. kind of like season three where I'm like, yeah, they've just right. been more and more, which feels natural. And yeah. And I, but then it's, it's a weird thing because I'm like, he is Joe, like it's the same Joe, but he's a little different. And I get where people don't want spoilers, but I'm like, oh, there, it doesn't spoil either one, but I can understand too, where people, you know, want to do it. Yeah, you've got your own like Joel Goldberg universe now. You're you've yes. got your own Marvel situation. <laughs> yeah, the parallel timelines. Yes, and even the way there's Penn Badgley and Santino Fontana, both like a plus, surreal of like these two versions of yeah. So yeah, and I was actually like a little bit salty that they didn't just make it Santino just for the voice. I was like, he's mm-hmm. an actor, but Penn Badgley does such a good job. Yeah, I feel like they both nail it and yeah that's so yeah in that way it's become so much more crowded like I feel like you start writing a book in a vacuum and no one knows you know my toy and now the whole fucking world's playing with it but then it's the good thing about writing no matter what like all of that you just kind of have to then you're looking at a blank page and it's like well I'm either going to make up new stuff or I'm not so yeah (laughs) and everyone gets something to enjoy and it's it's the like if you came here because you love the show pick up the books you're going to love them if you love the books go watch the show because it's an entirely different experience, but equally as fantastic. Yeah. And I, I love that. Like it brings out the old EW writer in me of compare, contrast, fun. And just even the way one person speaking to you plays differently in a book than on a show. And yeah. For real. Uh, yes. Do you, speaking of the show though, do you have a favorite Joe meme? Oh my God. So many. <laughs> I feel like there's the one, the ones, you know, when it comes down to it though, the ones where it's just his look, like the gif, exactly just the move such good face and such good like I'm like I don't know how he does that that's that acting magic but I tell I always come back to those ones that are little looks can't go wrong I love any of the ones where he's just disguised with the ball cap yes you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) like you really hidden yourself there Joe Yes. I should have put on a, a baseball cap for this interview of what, a, what was I thinking that no one was going to see it, but <laughs> Photoshop one onto your head. Yes. There's probably a zoom filter. <laughs> there is probably a zoom filter. Yes. <laughs> so I know we're already, we're talking about for you and only you, which comes out in a few weeks, but I am going to ask if there's anything that you're currently working on now that you can talk about. Not that I can talk about, but it's been a very like prolific passionate time lately of writing a lot so things I'm very excited about but gonna be a little while and yeah and also in the past I feel like it can be a dangerous thing when you start talking about it before you finished it it's like jinxing kind of talking yourself out of it one of those things that early writing teacher told me but I was like no like I you know I can tell the world and nothing will happen novel everyone has to know right like when you have four (laughs) pages of it like right that'll be it it's only going up from there Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> now to bring it back to Boston, maybe the most important question of this interview. Uh, what's your Dunkin' order? Oh, um, large iced latte, three Splendas on a good day, on a, on a bad day, on a good normal day to me, medium, because that large is big. You know, like when you can't to hold the cup, it's like big gulp level big. And I get that. I'm like, I don't need all this milk. Like I don't. But that's my. Yeah. And then I like an egg wrap. And I feel like they are. I feel like he says something about made with 
extra efficiency and zero love. And I'm like, no, when you get them, they're hot and warm and, you know. They're hot. They're ready to go. I I don't need that much love. I just need, I I just need breakfast. Mm -hmm. And uh, does that differ at all from your, your like coffee bean order or any other fun places? Oh yeah, no, it's funny. Like at Dunkin', it's just plain, but at Starbucks, I will want sugar-free vanilla syrup. Of course. I feel like, I don't know what it is. Like something about that cup, the color scheme. I want that flavor. At Dunkin', I'm like, no, just fucking give me the brown coffee. Coffee and milk. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yep. No, that makes so much sense. I also, my orders differ between the two too. It's just like in one, I expect it to, it, it's always Starbucks that like there, I expect it to taste the way that my brain knows it. But at Dunkin', I'm like, just pour it in the cup. It's fine. Yes. Yeah. Because also <laughs> I, my favorite, other favorite Dunkin' thing is just, uh, coffee with extra skim milk and Splenda. Always the Splenda. I'm like, I feel like 100% sure I'm going to die of something Splenda related eventually. Oh, that I'm there with you because I'm a, I'm a sweet and low or a Splenda. One day I'll have some, I'll be a, like a case study because I had right. too many pink and, packs in my life. And do you notice then like when I taste real sugar, like it's like, if I take a sip of Coca-Cola, I'm like, ew, like syrup. Yes. And I'm like, oh, my body fully prefers my my body can't handle it. Maybe in maybe in like the early two thousands, it was because you know child me was trying to be skinny. But now it's like no, that's the only thing I can accept. That's the only thing I want. Yep. They put something in that Splenda. Yeah, that I think alters your taste buds. It and must. also when I try to kick it, I'm like, this shit is so addictive. Like because the way things don't only like taste bad, they taste like poison. Like I'll try to do that. The raw sugar or like whatever the other one I can't think yeah. of. Yeah, like stevia. No, like, this is oh. bitter, nasty. I will say, yeah, I I am a team Splenda person, but I did have to wean myself off of it, and it was a very long process. I bet, and you, but you did it. I did but it, and it now can I be done. There is it hope can for be us. Done, but it was yeah. not pleasant, and now I have to drink things black, which is so boring. Wow. So, so no, I, sh- like you, no you, sugar at all. It's too sweet now. Did you go to sugar in your like withdrawal? Like in. Just- no, I just like very slowly weaned off the amount of Splenda. And then once we got to the no, like nothing, anything now is too sweet. And so, you know what? That's no fun at all. Wow. Envy. <laughs> it's, it's really not fun. So I would just do the Splenda. Yeah. We'll all oh, end up in the same ward together. <laughs> the Splenda Ward. Yes. <laughs> when I say public library, what comes to mind? Oh, fun, like free fun and escape. And like, I love li- like I love libraries. Since I was a kid, I find that magic, the way you don't have to pay for it because you're a kid with your allowance and book trucks at school. And it's like, you walk into that library, every fucking thing you want is yours. I love that. Like, that's fun. And your mother can't be like, well, no, you just bought this. Or you have, it's like, haha, like it's books. My allowance is still my allowance. I can still get all the, all the yeah. candy I want, all the treats I want. I'm also very deadline oriented. So I love what like taking a book out of a library means. I feel like it was the original lesson in willpower of like, I have a limited time with this book. And in some ways, like we have such a collector hoarding culture and I like the library because it brings it down to the purity of like, it's not about buying something and kind of showing it. I mean, that's that's a nice part of things. But some books, like you have this relationship with them, you bring them back. It doesn't mean you didn't read them. And, you know, that's yeah, I like that. that 
It's such a good way to put it too, because you can see in Emma's background, I also have a library in my home. Like we are book oh, people. Yeah. But the the thing to that is, is that like the library books that I loved, if I really loved them, I probably bought a copy. But if I, you know, if it was just like, I'm glad I have that, like that memory lives on. It's, it's yes. exactly that. And when you're a kid, one book could be your allowance for the month. Just, yeah. just depending on what I it was. Beverly Cleary book that was like my, you know, my favorite that I stole from the library and hid and buried in the basement. I love going home and looking at that, seeing the card, you know, the old school mm-hmm. with the yeah. stamps and I remember hiding it and lying. And, and it was like, no, like the, the bond I felt with that book was like, no one else gets to touch this. That was my first experience of like, this is my mind. Like it's this doesn't there, there. It's nice. Everyone else can, you know. They can get a new copy. This, yeah. this is yeah. for me. Yes. And books are still like, they're so pretty, but I like that you can have like a first date with a library book and then you can go buy it. Like you said, if it really means something, if the, like there's a difference between a book you wanted to get through and you got through it and a book that you want to like be reminded of every day. Cause that's why I love right. bookshelves. And it creeps me out in someone's house when they don't have them because it's like when you make a mixtape and now you expect those songs to go together the way when you read something and you associate it with that time in your life. Yeah. So you can look at your shelves and go through time and yeah. I, yeah. Every time I, I look at my shelves, it's like that. Oh, that was the year that this happened and this happened. And right then it, it it's, it's, you're so right. Like, <laughs> yes. mm-hmm. It's like not having memories. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So speaking a little bit about reading and all of those things, I'm wondering what you've read or watched, or even if it's just something random that you've enjoyed lately. Um, so I just saw a friend's movie that I'm not allowed to talk about it, but I can't, we all know what I'm talking about when it's like out there that was fucking out of this world, like shaking for hours after good. And that's just such an exciting thing to see. Like, that's a joyous, like I, that spirit lifting of like, oh my God, like art things, you know, the hard work, the years of putting into that. Like, so I was so psyched about that. I am in a sad place because I'm about to finish Clay McLeod Chaplin, uh, <clears throat> Um, what kind of mother and that is like coming out soon that later this year I'm excited for that to be out it's a yeah I can smell the salt air and I and there but I don't want to say too much but it's this the scary creeps of it like yeah very good so oh it's are- it's on our list to like snap up the moment we can get a copy yeah yeah <laughs> and yeah oh so that's good to know so we're yeah. like hey clay <laughs> And daytime reading, like one of those that I'm like, okay, like I wake up weirdly early sometimes. So I'm like, I can read it at five in the morning when Mm -hmm. everything is quiet and the sun isn't up because it's that dark, but I'm like, the sun is coming, but I can't read it at night. Like the other night. Good and spooky. Yes. Because even the, like the, the empty space on the pages on some of them is used to an effect, you know, when your brain is that disturbed that like the words are floating and the monster is right behind you. Oh, you're, you're seeing all of it happen live. Ooh, now I'm, now I'm really excited. (laughs) Now, Caroline, as we wrap up, where can the listeners find you online? They can find me on Twitter, I guess, until we all die there and, or, you know, (laughs) on Instagram. And I have a Facebook page, like a traditional author page. And then there's a place called Caroline's Cage or Caroline Kepnes' Cage. I'm not sure, but that's one you just click to be a member. And that's a great place of like, those Joey's have been there since 2013 screaming. And then there, as it, over the years, it's been fun to have the people that love the show come in and find out about the books. And like, it's a good place. Yes. And That's I'm fantastic. not, on TikTok. I have an account, but I don't like do that. I, yeah. 
save, save yourself. I, I love TikTok, but also save yourself. Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> or do it. I'd love to hear, but <laughs> I'm happy that some people are so at ease on camera. Like I'm just the exact opposite. I can't. Yeah. Well, and it might be going away. So yes. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, well, thank you so much for joining us today. What a delight to talk to you about for you and only you. Yes. Thank you for having me. This was fun. And I want to go to a library now and just walk around with coffee and Splenda and yeah. honestly the dream. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode on overdrive.com and our library friends can purchase these titles in marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen podcasts, visit evergreenpodcast.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Emma Dwyer and Joe Skelly and presented by Overdrive. To learn more, visit professionalbooknerds.com. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.